Hey everyone, welcome to the Wild and Uncut podcast brought to you by Ruger. I'm your host, Christy Titus. Thank you for tuning in. The line is going hot, so let's go full send on this episode. Since 1949, Ruger has embodied the spirit of hunting in America. Ruger firearms are built to deliver the reliable and accurate performance that seasoned veterans demand and new hunters can trust. At Ruger, we believe that hunting is about more than just the thrill of the chase. It's about the freedom and opportunity that come with it. This is our heritage, and this is Ruger. Hey everybody, thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Wild and Uncut podcast. I'm here at the Ruger booth at the NRA convention with Gary Robertson. And you are one of our Ruger ambassadors. You are now our... Um... Senior member. No, I was Senior member of the team. <laughs> <laughs> right. That, that's what you want to say. I was going to say kingpin, but I thought that <laughs> sounded a little gangster. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not kingpin. It's the senior member of the team. <laughs> Somebody's got to have that title, and, oh and unfortunately, it's me. It's not you. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm just dying right now because, number one, I'm slightly delirious. Um, <laughs> but you are hilarious. No, not the senior member. But he is the senior member. It was Larry. It was Larry. It was. Oh, uh, I just dropped my it, belt off my body. Hold <laughs> on here. I got a wardrobe malfunction going. Actually, you know what? I'm going to leave it off. Larry. My clothes are. Gary's making my clothes fall off. <laughs> Gary, jeez. No, at my age, no, I, don't, I can't do that. I'm sorry. <laughs> You're like, I'm married, Christy. <laughs> yeah, uh, sorry, I, that was a... So what happened, if you guys are listening, is my belt just fell off, so I made a really inappropriate joke. <laughs> so, that's okay. It, it, it won't bother me at all. Uh, yeah, uh, Larry Wysoon was a senior member yeah. of the team, uh, and Larry, of course, has moved on, and that left me. Uh, somebody has to have that title, and unfortunately, it's me. Uh, here a couple of weeks ago, I turned 70. Yeah. And uh, but what I have learned to do, I, I, you know, I, that's my get out of jail free card. I've yeah. learned to use this to my advantage. But you're not sniffing people like Joe Biden. So, I mean, no, I, I'm <laughs> not doing not. that. No, I've been <laughs> happily married for 47 years. Yeah. I'm not doing that. Uh, so uh, but what I really Sorry. like it for is the other day, you know, we were hunting it up in the panhandle with some young guys and really good friends and you know i would forget something left something in the truck or if i missed a coyote i was like come on guys yeah i'm 70 years old yeah. well nate Zelinsky told me that coyotes have a force field around them and for some reason his bullets don't seem to penetrate that force field there's there's a lot of air around a coyote there's a lot of air around a coyote. <laughs> if we had that conversation nate and i did of all the animals that i've hunted that's the most missable one of all. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, and there's something about a coyote when he comes running into a call that kind of stirs you up anyway. Mm -hmm. And now you're, 
you, you don't know exactly what he's going to do, especially if you're inexperienced at the game and trying to handle that is yeah. difficult. And uh, I tell folks what makes you a better coyote shooter or shot on a coyote is is being subjected to it time and time again to know how that animal's going to react, mm -hmm. to be able to read his body language. Yeah. And you can't get that any other way other than being there. That's right. And I've been calling him for over 60 years now, and I still screw up. So well, we all do. That's called... You know, there's nothing more humbling than a firearm in a hunting situation. That's right. That's a guarantee. But Gary, walk everybody through. <coughs> Bless me. you. Walk everybody through um, your history of how you got into. I mean, you're from a. You have an incredible family history in Texas. A great ranching family you're from, and your family history in the great state of Texas is really like one that I've never heard before, and I think our listeners would want to hear, and then how that translated into uh, starting your TV show and all of that. I can tell you more about the history. Here, I'm going to pull this back just a little bit. There we go. There we go. There. Uh, I'm a fifth generation Texan. Yeah. And The uh, hat gave it away. If you could talk my husband into wearing one, I'd really appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a fifth generation Texan and uh, grew up, in, you know, fortunate enough and blessed enough to be able to have been born and raised on a ranch in South Texas. Mm -hmm. uh, my family farmed and ranched. And when I would walk out the back door of the house, within, after I got through the cow lot behind the house, we were hunting. Yeah. And, of course, in those days, if I left, we had about 2,500 acres. If I left that ranch, I was either on my kinfolks or I was on somebody that I knew. So I could go. It was pretty much limited list where I wanted to go. He used kinfolk in sentence right now. We need to introduce Jen to that terminology because now she's a homesteader. And I think that would fit into her new vocabulary. Kinfolk? Yes. <laughs> no, it's not my sister-in-law. She's my kinfolk. There we go. I really love this. So my my grandfather was a hunter, but unfortunately he died when I was in, in first grade. Mm -hmm. uh, so my dad was not a hunter, but he wanted my brother and I to be in the woods because it would he thought it would help keep us off the streets of Divine, which was a town of about 3,000 people. But, pretty rowdy, know, rough pretty, area. Pretty town. rowdy, rough. But he really wanted us to stay on the ranch. Yeah. So anything that he could do to keep us out there, that's what he did. So he made sure, you know, we had guns if we wanted to hunt uh, and, and would help us, uh, <coughs> you know, whether it was we started out hunting deer. Yeah. And I killed my first whitetail hunting by myself when I was seven years old. That's un like hunting imagine by myself. that. So uh, that is unreal. Like that would never happen today, ever. No, it would never happen today. No. And uh, because kids don't know, a lot of kids don't know how to handle firearms, and obviously, you know to be supervised hunting, you know, you have to be a certain age. And every state's a little different where the supervision level kind of kids can start hunting alone or, or not. But that, that would never happen today. No, it, w it would not happen today. No. But anyway, I, and of course, I was shooting. I'm a, I wasn't shooting a Ruger in those days. I was shooting whatever, you know, most everybody did. And that was a Winchester Model 94, 30-30. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
first buck I killed was a trophy spike. He had spikes oh, about yeah. yay long. Yeah. And, you know, to me, you he were was. You were seven years old. It was the best day of your life. Yeah, yeah, I was like a rock star at school. Oh, yeah. You know, the next day. Yeah. But anyway, that's did what got me Did you take it to school? Excuse me? Do you remember, did you take it to school? No, I did not take it to school. Okay. Uh, actually, there was. Did you have a camera back then? Like, not like. I mean, no. you're running film back then. It's not like you're like, oh, look at my iPhone. No, I there mean, was. No one. You just did bragging rights. We just had bragging rights. Yeah. And no one. No one took photos in those yeah. days to speak of. No. I no. think I took a photo of a buck I killed the second year I hunted because he was an eight point. And yeah. I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. So we took a photo of that one. And that's the only buck I remembered photographing until I was in maybe high school or college. Do you still have a photo of that buck? I do somewhere. I do a, in an old photo album there at the house. You need to dig that out and post it. <laughs> and if you, I, I want to, yeah. I want to see that picture because that would be really awesome to share. When I was a youngster, I was rather small for my size. You're a huge man. Well, I, no, I'm not really. I'm about six feet tall, but I was a slow grower, mature. Ah. So I was, a, I was pretty slight, but. Uh, and I had a sister that was a year younger than me, and she was as big as I was. Yeah. So, anyway, but I Darn was a slight girls. little guy, and but I but I loved I loved the woods. I yeah. stayed in the woods all the time. So, I morphed into you know we we looked for every excuse we could find to go to the woods. So, once we started deer hunting, well, we were we wanted to get into predator hunting, and we started out just using cur dogs. We'd go down to the creek and. You know, they'd find coons bait up in brush piles or drifts. We'd yeah. dig those out. Then my brother decided, well, he's going to learn how to do some trapping. Yeah. Well, if you if you could set a trap well enough that a coyote might put his foot in it, it, it didn't take me long to figure out that game wasn't for me because it would take me about an hour to get that accomplished. So I kind of said, there's got to be a better way, better way. To, than this. And I got started reading everything that I could about the Burner Brothers that were from Marble Falls, Texas. Uh, they were the ones that were really popularized game calling. In fact, they did some episodes of uh, with Roy Rogers back in the 60s wow. on his TV show, and they were calling coyotes. Yeah. Uh, anyway, that's what I was like. That's what that I wanted to do. That was your thing. So... The first, so I started reading up where I could buy, a, you know, a predator call, and they advertised an outdoor life, and I think they wanted $4 for the predator call that I wanted, the long-range yeah. Burnham Brothers call. Well, my brother had a herder's catalog, and they had a predator call in there. Which was herder's th is now a part of, like, the Cabela's and Bass Pro family of brands. I think it is now. They own it now, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, the herder's call was 350, and my dad thought there's no way critters are going to come to you when you're blowing a call. That's that's not going to yeah. happen. He said, "Save yourself 50 cents and go and get the herder's call." So, okay, so that's what I did. So my very first predator call was a herder's call. Wow. And I'll never, of course, everything came by mail in those days, and uh, we lived on a rural route. And I remember. I thought that was about time the that call should arrive. So, Mr. Baker was our mailman, and 
he dropped her mail about noon. Well, I saw him coming, and I beat it to that mailbox. Sure enough, I had a f package in there from Herders. How old were you? I was 10 years old. Wow. And uh, I tore the package open, immediately started squawking on it. And You called in your dog. My dogs loved it. <laughs> <laughs> my mother hated, hated it. it. <laughs> and, of course, she would forbade me to blow on the call inside the house. That's Yogi when he tries to do elk calling. I'm like, uh-uh. Uh -uh. No way. Not Absolutely not. Uh-uh. <laughs> no. So she threw me outside the house, which was fine. I practiced the rest of the afternoon. And in those days, I thought, you know, everybody called after dark. Yeah. You know, and that's legal in Texas. So uh, we decided we were going out that evening. We both had uh, we had two little Rayovac flashlights. Two, they were two D cells. Wow. That was our lighting. Not very sophisticated. Uh and we had one single shot, 22 rifle. And my brother was carrying it. I was blowing the call. How old's your brother? He was a year older than me. So he's 11 so in year 10. I, he was 11, about 11 and a half. Yeah. So I started squawking on the call. And I don't, I don't realize, I don't know how long you're supposed to blow on a call. I just thought you just blew on it till something came and, you know, then you, then you stopped and take the shot. Well, yeah. I was getting really lightheaded, and I realized I had to quit. So I, yeah. I quit blowing. Then I was kind of caught my breath and went to squawking again. And then we decided to shine around, and here were eyes. And it was a gray fox. Well, I had seen coyotes on the ranch. I'd seen bobcats on the ranch. I had never seen a gray fox on our ranch before. So I was like, holy smoke, this is magic you know, that you can blow on a call and actually get animals re respond yeah. to you. And so from that date on. Did you shoot the fox? My brother shot at the fox. We didn't, we didn't get him killed, but that was okay. It was still magic. Yeah. So I remember we, dad wouldn't let us drive a pickup down in the pasture, but he let us drive an old 3000 Ford tractor. Yeah. So we had driven down, the old tractor down into the pasture and called, walked from it and called. Well, we beat it back to that tractor to get back to the house to tell, you know, mother, dad, how exciting that was yeah. to call that fox up. So I've kind of been hooked on the calling game ever since. That is, I and I totally agree with you when you say having the ability to call is magic. And anybody that's ever turkey hunted or elk hunted or predator hunted, it is magic. It is magic. It is magic. It is, and it really puts you in a unique and very distinct opportunity to really connect and combine with nature. Yes. Uh, when we had COVID, I wrote the, a book. My wife decided, decided I needed another project, so I wrote a book entitled Eyes Front. Wait, why don't I have a copy of your book, Gary? I've got it in my room. I'll get you a copy. Yeah. Uh, I will, Yogi is going to read it to me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I devoted... I think eight chapters to rattling whitetails. Wow. And I devoted 10 chapters to calling turkeys. And then the rest I devoted strictly to predators. Because yeah. I'm like you. I love the calling game, whether it's calling elk, whitetails, turkey. Mm. Now, I'm not a waterfowl guy. Me neither. But I do all the rest. Yeah. And I don't hunt waterfowl just because it requires a shotgun. And I'm terrible with a shotgun, so I avoid everything with the shotgun. Apart from turkey hunting once a year. Well, but, you know. I, I use a shotgun for turkeys, and then that's about it. Now, yeah. I, I used to do a, quite a bit of wing shooting for dove, but nowadays I've 
Yeah. I do more. I was pretty much strictly rifle and handgun. Mm-hmm. So you you went through adulthood ranching um, in Texas, farming, and uh, obsessed with hunting, really. And banking. When I got out of college in 1975, I got into the banking business. I went to work for what's now Farm Credit. Uh, yeah. It was Federal Land Bank Associations, yeah. Yeah. and I made farm and ranch loans across the state of Texas. But, of course, that kept me outdoors because in those days, we took the loan applications, we did the credit work, we did the appraisal work, and we closed the loans. So I was out all the time appraising ranches, and, yeah. of course, that got me more hunting. Yeah, you met people. We met people. We made great connections. Mm -hmm. And that's how I ended up in Menard, Texas, where I am now. I moved out there as president of the bank. Yeah. And, but again, all this time I was hunting. Yeah. And that's where I met Murray Burnham, who was my childhood hero. And he started, I started hunting with him. And then when he decided to sell his company in 1991, I bought him out. Wow. That so is, there's a little history That there. is an incredible story. I did not know that, you know, as a child, you were fascinated with this name of these people that were legendary hunters. You read about them. They inspired and shaped your life, and as an adult, you bought their company. Like, that is an, that is an unbelievable story. Well, thank you. Uh, Have you ever I, told I, that in an episode? I, I don't think I have. Maybe I did you need put to it, dig out some of those old pictures and tell this story. Yeah, I, 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 I did that in the book, and I, yeah. I wrote about that. Okay. Uh, another, you were asking about family history and being a fifth generation Texas, a Texan, of course, uh, one interesting story about my great-great-uncle was a Texas Ranger by the name of... Walker. Nope. <laughs> it wasn't Walker. It was Basil Lamar Outlaw. Outlaw is his last name, and no. they called him Baz Outlaw. And he was... There's a book written uh it's called whiskey river ranger uh -huh. and it's about yay thick and it's all about him yeah yay the, thick is about two inches just yeah. in case you're wondering if you're listening yeah uh bass outlaw was fearless he the the two greatest handgunners in all of the old west which was a period that occurred over about 25 years yeah. really were considered to be john wesley harden and bass outlaw and Your grandfather was an outlaw, named outlaw. My grandmother's name was outlaw. Her maiden wow. name was okay. outlaw. So, uh, and they, that family started in Georgia. Mm -hmm. Anyway, uh, and then moved to Texas, and and anyway, that's that's kind of where we got started on that side. But anyway, his his ability to shoot a handgun was legendary. Uh, unfortunately. He had a little bit of a drinking problem, and that's kind of was his downfall. Yeah. But the, the book Whiskey River Ranger uh, was written by a gentleman by the name of Wilson here a few years ago, and I'm going to meet him on May the 6th. Mm -hmm. And all Is of that Is there a book, Whiskey River there? No. Okay. No, that's just the, the title okay. of the book. Okay. What he, he proves up in that book, because... Baz Outlaw was written up in a lot of the old Frontier Times magazines and whatnot, and, and they all ran him down. Mm -hmm. They knew what a great handgunner he was, but they were like, oh, he was a pretty shiftless guy. 
this guy proves up that that was not the case because mm-hmm. he gets cites different, you know, case after case where he was put in charge and he he, yeah. he came through on it. Yeah. So anyway, one of the in, several of the inf- interesting episodes that we've done on handguns, we tell the story of Bass Outlaw mm-hmm. and we kind of throw it out there. Is is it possible for someone to inherit that ability? the hand-eye coordination Mm -hmm. to be good with a handgun Mm -hmm. because it is there it's it it all goes back to hand-eye coordination and muscle memory is what makes you a great shot and so we just throw that question out there and uh like i say we use the single actions and call up a few predators and uh we killed quite a few you know some of the gray fox that 35, 40 yards. Wow. And with with iron sights. Mm-hmm. So and, and and I like to do it traditional. <clears throat> I like to stick with the iron sights rather than some new hot, you know, optic. Mm-hmm. So cause make it like it was in the old days. Yeah. Yeah, that's incredible. You have such a rich firearms history and you also have a show which is airing on Pursuit Channel, correct? So tell everybody what your show's called and um, I know you love to tell a story in your episodes, and you take a lot of pride in that. What can people look forward to seeing on your show? Well, per, well we do air on the Pursuit Channel, and we have for, this will be our 13th year. Yeah. I'm getting close to the end, though, Christy. Uh, I'm wearing out a little bit. But what we have tried to do, and it's, we've proven it to be very successful, is, yes, we're going to be out there hunting. We're going to be promoting our Ruger products. We're going to show them in the field. But it's not just, you know, Joe and I are out here hunting today. Yeah. What we try to do is we try to find a story in every hunt that we do. And in other words, be cinematic and build a story around where we're hunting with mm-hmm. or who we're hunting mm-hmm. with or what we're hunting with. Yeah. And that has proven to be very successful for us. Yeah. So, uh, like I say, I don't know. I, I wasn't going to do year 13. I kind of got talked into doing one more, uh, but after this, I'm about over. Yeah. And I, I believe it or not, I'm I'm really a, a private kind of a guy. Yeah. I never really wanted to do TV, mm-hmm. and it was our sponsors that wanted us to do TV because we back in the '90s we did we did a series of how-to videos on yeah. calling predators, mm-hmm. and when people saw those, they were like. We want you to do a TV show for us to help promote our products, so that's what we did. Yeah. And then it took off from there. No matter where you pursue the wild, never leave home without Onyx Hunt. Onyx gives hunters the confidence to apply and draw tags in areas they've never set foot in, extending hunting seasons and opportunities. Always know where you stand with public and private land layers, unit boundaries, and more. Onyx can even be downloaded directly to your phone for use when you don't have service. Wherever you pursue the wild, hunt with Onyx. So you purchased this call company and um, you host a TV show. You do tips and tactics. Your show airs on pursuit and it's wildly successful. In fact, it's so successful when you launched, it was the most successful show on Pursuit Channel. 
it was the most watched show on the Pursuit Channel the very first year we we aired. And it was only predator hunting. And it was only predator hunting. And uh, that, when I got the SHOT Show that year, I think I've told you the story mm-hmm. that, you know, they were shocked that a predator hunting show was the most popular show on the air. Mm-hmm. But I don't, while predator hunting is rapidly growing in popularity, I think what made separated <laughs> us from some of the others was that telling of the story. Yeah. Yeah, it was unique, at the, especially for the time, and especially centered around predator hunting, um, which uh, is very challenging to be a predator hunter. I mean, you have to have a lot of uh, forethought on your setup, your call location, stands, uh, time of day you're hunting, where the sun's at, uh, what the wind is doing. I mean, all, all the factors. It. I tell folks, I love to hunt turkey. Uh, but they can't smell. That's right. And I have all these buddies from back east that like to come turkey out with us in Texas. And they say, well, how do you compare turkey hunting to predators? And I said, turkey hunting is checkers. Predator calling is chess. Mm. And when the day starts, I want to see what the conditions are. And if I know the ranch, I'm already I'm planning ahead of where I'm going, where it's going to be my first call. While I'm making that call, I'm already I'm planning the next call. You know, it, it's just you got to be thinking ahead the next move. Do you have, um, like, tips and tactics on, like, YouTube or anything where people can learn from you? I don't. I don't. Uh, I do a lot of that in the book that I wrote, mm-hmm. uh, and then I, I do write for uh, Texas Trophy Hunter magazines, mm-hmm. and in there I give tips and tactics. Uh, we do on the TV show. A lot of it is kind of how-to yeah. stuff. Uh, and then, like I say, when we did that series back in the 90s. And the show's and early called Carnivore, right? The show is called Carnivore. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, the first series we did on how-to, we did it with Mossy Oak. They mm-hmm. were our sponsor. And it was called Eyes Front. And the reason it was called Eyes Front was because that's where the way a predator's eyes are, are mounted into yeah. their skull. Like, you're like a predator. Mine. And by a system of triangulization, you have this plane here and then your target there, they can judge depth. That's mm-hmm. what allows them to catch mm-hmm. their prey. And so if anybody tries to tell you that a human is not a meat eater, this right here, the way your eyes are set into your skull, proves that wrong. Yeah, and the fact that it tastes good. And beside that, it tastes <laughs> good. So, uh, so when we came out the, the, with the book, we were looking for a title. It was a natural that we just name it Eyes Front. Yeah. Because yeah. we're not prey animals. If we were, we'd have our eyes set in the side of our skull mm-hmm. so that we can see that approaching danger. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As a defense mechanism. Yeah. So you you were doing all of these um, taking people hunting, and media kind of shifted from magazine and print, which is where you were taking a lot of these outdoor writers on different hunts, and it went to television. And, and it turns out, Gary, you're pretty charismatic. <laughs> and people like watching you on TV, whether you like it or not, you know. <laughs> well, and uh, there you go. You got a TV show 13 years later. You're still doing it. We're still doing it. Uh we love people. We love, we love the people in this industry. Yeah. Your family. Mm-hmm. All of the folks at Ruger are family, and that's when I'm 
moved over to Ruger, I told the guys, I said, you will find that I'm loyal to a fault. Mm -hmm. Once I get with a company, I'm there. And as long as you treat me fair, I'm going to treat you fair. Yeah, it's and kind of the cowboy way. We just, yeah, we, mm -hmm. and, and the relationships just get better. Yeah. And, of course, we, we got new folks coming on board, and we hope to develop those relationships with them. Mm -hmm. uh, I think one of the, what I, it's not the golden rule, but maybe my golden rule in life is when I get to know someone or even visit with anyone here that attends the show, I try to make it about them. I try to make them think that they're special mm -hmm. because everybody is. They are, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think if we behave in that matter, mm -hmm. uh, we just develop better relationships. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, and I agree wholeheartedly with that. Yeah. Yeah. It's not the golden rule, but it's kind of our golden rule, isn't it, Christy? It's good enough. It is. Good and I see me. you doing that. You know, if someone comes up and they want to talk to you, you'll drop what you're doing and you go talk to them. Yeah. Well, and they. I mean, the time. Their people's time here is valuable. There's a lot of different booths to to be at, and um, a lot of things to see here. So you you know their time is is probably more important than mine. You know, in that capacity. I don't know about more important than yours, but you're you're doing the right thing, yeah. and and I, I think. We kind of get away from that mm -hmm. sometimes, you know, in this mm -hmm. in a very crazy, busy world. But, yeah, I try to make everybody feel special. And, I, mm -hmm. you know, I want to talk to them one-on-one, -on -one, mm -hmm. and I want to hear what they've got to say. Yeah. So your call company, you bought this. Can we talk about your new, your new sure. calls? So um, Gary has tapped into and filmed now some really incredible, like you're talking about the magic. Um, that you had when you called in that first gray fox. I saw a video you, you showed me two nights ago of a mountain lion that you called in, and that was magic. I've never seen anything like it in my life. Uh, but you're, you're advancing your technology to include sound waves that humans can't even hear. Like legitimate sound waves. Yes, ma'am. Uh, back in the 90s, I started observing animals, coyotes and bobcats, and I could tell they were communicating, but I could not hear, hear any it. sound. So, I'm, so I realized that they were communicating at a frequency above what the human could hear. So I started doing a little research on it. Well, I found out when I was, you know, we were young, we can hear it about 20,000 hertz. And a coyote can hear to 45,000 hertz, and a feline can hear to about 64,000 hertz. So I wanted to build an electronic call that would produce those frequencies. Unfortunately, at that time, I couldn't do it. Yeah. Uh, the technology was not there. And then about six years ago, I found ultrasonic speakers and uh, that were being produced. So I rather than build just another electronic call like you know we we built electronic calls through the years but i wanted to build something truly different that that i thought would totally change the calling game and so here we went uh five years later we're about to release the freak we call it freq because this call frequency that's all about frequency yeah. This call will go Gary's up to, smart. to near 
50,000 hertz. Wow. Every electronic caller that's been built to date since the old 78 records in the 1950s until now has peaked at 15 to 17,000 hertz. Yet, every distress sound that we have recorded and tested on an oscilloscope has gone at least 50,000 hertz. Unbelievable. So for the first time ever, we're, with electronics, we're able to almost... Double, all, the, double the quality of that sound. A double and almost triple. Yeah. So uh, it's been quite a challenge. Uh, it's been, like I say, a five-year process and a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> and I need a return on this, Christy. <laughs> Well, uh, give me one of these things. Jeez. I, you're going to get I told one. him, can I beat in the top ten? And he's like, oh, boy. <laughs> oh, boy. I don't know. I don't but, think you qualify for top ten status. Maybe top 100. There I, we go. I'd be okay with that. I'd be okay. I'm sure. Maybe we can do that. Yeah, top Maybe 100. Maybe we can do that. <laughs> I can make the top 100. Not the top ten, but top but, 100. But what we're finding out is by using this technology, we're seeing things we've never seen before. Yeah. I am... I'm seeing animals respond in a different fashion, you know, more aggressive, more relaxed when they get close to the sound. And this is what's really crazy. I, and I've preached it for years. You know, if you're calling a coyote and he, and he gets your scent, boom, he's, he's out of here. Three times in the last two years, I've actually called coyotes back that I had that have come in and gotten my scent. Really? And I, the cool thing is I got it on video to prove it up. Well, and not only that, you had a mountain lion basically try to crawl inside your call. I mean, this thing for five minutes was there in daylight, you guys. This is unflipping real. It was pretty much amazing. Uh, what was amazing to me was a couple of things. One, we called her out on the flats yeah. where there's no, I mean, you saw it. Uh, she's out there pretty much naked in the broad yeah. daylight but one but which was amazing but the other thing that really surprised me was i was calling to the north and there was a breeze from the west at about five to ten miles an hour and this line came from the south and i was I, it was pretty calm that day so i wasn't using a lot of volume so I don't know exactly how far she came. The The low hills where she typically should be hunting were about mm -hmm. a half a mile away. Wow. Now, it took her right at 20 minutes to get to the call. And I did some study since we got the video. She was in a long trot when she was coming in. I didn't get to see her till she the last 50 yards before she got to the call. But at, at the that long trot, she should be hitting about eight, seven or eight miles an hour. Well, I don't know if she was on the backside of the hill and came around and heard me because I think she could have gotten there a little quicker than yeah. if she'd have heard me right off. Mm -hmm. But anyway, we'll never know. Yeah. But I do know when she got there, she was totally mesmerized. And at one time, I thought she was going to roll on the call. Yeah. She kind of got up on it, and I thought, you know, kind of like a dog does on something mm -hmm. dead. Mm -hmm. She liked it that much. Wow. And, uh, and you goes, were, what was the sound you were using for our well, listeners? I started out just using a grown cottontail because I was trying to call coyotes across that big open flat. Mm -hmm. But I had switched. The, the, the last sound I had played was a recording of a five-day-old blue tick puppy. And you don't, 
you don't have to hurt that dog it puppy in any way farm or fashion no puppies were harmed in the recording of their I sound i promise you that yes all we did was pick that little puppy up and of course we have to record every sound on the ultrasonic recorder if you don't record that sound ultrasonically it can never produce ultrasonics correct so I picked that puppy up and it let it out, and I picked up several others. None of them made this, any sound. So I, t- I called Steve and I said, bring the ultrasonic recorder. And when he did, I went back and picked that puppy up, and he did it all again. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, There's, I don't think there's any such thing as a magic sound that works all the time, every time. But... The puppy sound was effective. The puppy sound is very effective. That's what I have used to call coyotes back that have actually gotten my scent. Mm-hmm. There's something about that sound that just drives animals crazy. Yeah, that is unbelievable. And, you know, <clears throat> especially when it comes to predator hunting, you just don't know what sound is the right sound. You have your cottontails and your jackrabbits and fawn distress and doe sound. I mean, they've got all these sounds on there. Yeah. They're, heck, there's hundreds of them that you hundreds. can choose from, literally. Uh, right now, we have about 120 ultrasonic sounds so recorded. What, when you're recording these sounds, walk our listeners through how you're doing it. You know, obviously picking up puppies. Uh, what else are you doing? How are you, how are you getting the sounds? The way you get sounds, a lot of people think is you hurt the animal. That is totally wrong. If you start hurting that animal, chances are they're going to they're clam up. Yeah. What we have found is most effective, and I shouldn't probably give away my secrets, is we just tie a string to their leg and make them think they're getting away. Mm-hmm. And then slowly pull them back to you, and that's when we get the, big, the great sounds out mm-hmm. of an animal. Mm-hmm. It's just by bringing them back to where they think it's unsafe. Ah, because they're we're scared. Not hand, we're not harming that animal in any way. Yeah. And the same is true with birds. You know, we've recorded chickens and guineas and all this other stuff, and that's the way we get our best sound. Interesting. It's fascinating. So, uh, and, and you kind of think about it, you know, with humans, it might be the same way. When, when distressed, we think we're getting away, and then we get, you know, pulled back into somewhere we don't want to be. What's the first <laughs> thing you're going to do is scream. There you go. <clears throat> it's the first thing you're going to do is scream. Same thing. And same is true, like, with fawns. You know, we've recorded fawns. We've recorded goats and Mm -hmm. uh, everything else baby pigs all of it that's when we get our best stuff wow that is fascinating so you have single-handedly done all these 100 recordings or just been part of a team i've had some help uh we've got some guys that are helping us up in in new york yeah and they've recorded some of the sounds and uh and then steve and i've been doing the rest of them and what i want you guys to know is this is patented (laughs) So you can't uh, you can't just go out and do this now with uh, the ultrasonic right. we, sounds. Right, we've applied. Uh, I have six patents in place right now, yeah. and we're applying for one more with it. I hope to get shortly. Yeah, and uh, you know, it's that seems to be what happens in this industry, as you know, yeah. Christy. You know, somebody. Well, we built the first digital caller in 1990. Yeah, that was one with no moving parts, and then of course now look how many of them are out there. Yeah. But we didn't go to the trouble getting all the patents on it. Mm-hmm. And But on this one, we feel, in fa- I'm going to go out on a limb here, Christy. I think that this technology for predator hunting may be the greatest in my, in my lifetime. Wow. I, I really think it is that 
effective. And you could make a pretty strong argument that this may be the greatest innovation in hunting in the last 25 years. Unbelievable. You get to think of what, I mean, we, we can come up with a different caliber or different optic yeah. or. It only you took know. you 60 years to get here, Gary. Jeez. <laughs> Gosh. You know, like you start out with a childhood dream and a, and a passion and you never know where it's going to lead you. You don't know. And then and your, your fascination as a child has literally shaped your entire life. That's At 10 amazing. years old, you never think about that, but no. it's true. And no. it's taken us a long time to get there. Like I say, I'm, I'm 70 now. Yeah. But they say you can't teach an old dog new tricks, but by golly, this old dog is going to teach somebody some new tricks That's about right. calling. Oh, I want to come hunt with you. I, I'm like, I, I want to learn from Gary because I'm a terrible predator hunter, and I'd like to be better. You know, yeah. and and I would. I'm gonna invite myself to your ranch. <laughs> there we go. Perfect. And we're gonna go out with Gary. And bring Yogi. Yeah. So tell everybody through. You know, we we shoot Ruger firearms and kind of walk everybody through um, some of your your go tos. What are your go tos? And, and well, you can list different reasons for every you sure know, for I, a different go to. You know, I as you know, I'm a little old fashioned, and. Uh, a lot of folks say, oh, you're a coyote hunter or predator hunter. You, you use a semi-automatic platform of some sort. Yeah. No, I, I shoot the bolt guns. Mm-hmm. Uh, I shoot the American. I shoot yeah. the... The predator version? Uh, yes, I shoot the predator. Uh, I shoot it in 22 250. Mm-hmm. I shoot... Uh, I've got a Hawkeye and 223. I yeah. use it more in South Texas where a little tighter cover. The coyotes aren't as big. Uh I really like that rifle. It just feels good. Uh, not that the Ruger American does it, because it does. It's just I, I like the the stock yeah. and the ergonomics of that rifle. Uh, and people think, okay, you know, it's really important when you're calling predators to get a real quick second shot. Well, that's not exactly true. Uh, if you watch the show very often, I, I, I'm fair at, at killing coyotes on the run. And, of course, a lot of it is experience. But what makes you a better shot at a, at a moving target, which I don't recommend to anybody, is to be patient. If, if the, old, the old handgunners like Bass Outlaw would tell you the, the secret to being good with a handgun is is Aim, aim, uh, aim slow, but shoot fast. Mm-hmm. And that's what I try to do. I'll, I'll try to shoot down one coyote, and then I just rack another round in, and then I start following that coyote. And when he starts giving me the body language that I want to see, that's when I kill him. And it's all about patience. It's not throwing more lead. It's mm-hmm. not because... You can sit there and burn up a magazine at Kyle oh, yeah. running out across the prairie. Oh, yeah. But if you just be patient, and a lot of times if you'll kick the call back on maybe that hurt pup again or mm-hmm. that little puppy in distress, that'll check him up. But also, uh, it gets back to that experience of body language. That'll make you a, a much better shot. Mm-hmm. So it's not about how much lead you throw. It's about where you put it. It's always been about shot placement, as you know. So what you're telling Nate, if he's listening to this, is he keeps missing. He's shooting too fast. 
There you go. Aim slow, shoot oh, he's, fast. He's aiming too fast. That's what he's doing. Yeah, aiming there too, he is. He's aiming too fast. And I, th I think a lot of guys, and I find myself doing it some with ha when I'm shooting a handgun, mm -hmm. is I don't follow through. Mm -hmm. Try to see the bullet hit target. Oh, yeah. That's, that's you know, really That's important. so critical. Yeah. You know, because if you don't, you're going to be off the off the gun and you're going to shoot high. Yeah. Yeah. And same with, you know, coming down on target and dipping it and things like that. Yeah. I uh, I have a real tough time. I I tend to want my sight picture to be absolutely perfect. Um, but I have discovered for me that a little bit lighter trigger really helps because it goes off exactly when I want it to, and I'm not waiting. It takes right. the waiting game out of it. And so, obviously, there's an acceptable range of safety with that, too. You don't want triggers too light when you're sure. going hunting. Um, and Ruger's really great. You know, they've got nice triggers that have some some of the rifles have adjustability. They all pass drop tests. They're very safe. Um, but I like them on the lighter side just so that when I get that perfect sight picture, I'm ready. There you go. I agree with you 100%, and that's... Not only true with the, the rifles, the handguns, is, mm -hmm. it's so critical, that that good, crisp, clean trigger pull. Yes. Uh, I don't want it, it to be a surprise. Like, you know, when you're shooting a bow and you're using back tension and you're waiting, 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 and you're floating and floating, and then it goes off and it's a real surprise. Like, when I press the trigger, I'm working it back, and, you know, a lot of the, the triggers, like, for example, in my RPRs are two-stage. I know mm -hmm. where that wall's at. I want it to go when I want it to go. Right. Um, I don't want to have to ride the fence too long before I have the bang. And, and I really like that. That to me is once that sight picture is perfect, you know, I don't want to punch the trigger because there's obviously reticle movement, but just that nice, clean press back, having good follow through. Um, and that's made that, a big difference for me in my shooting. That is, <clears throat> that's, all, I think trigger pull is, 25, 30, or more percent of success of accuracy. Yeah, I really do. Mm -hmm. uh, I just I can't shoot a gun with the heavy trigger pull. Yeah, it's hard. I, it's just I'm, I, I'm not used to yeah. that. I yeah. don't handle it well. Mm -hmm. So. So you're shooting a lot of the Americans. You're shooting some of the Hawkeyes on your pistols. What are you hunting with? Uh, I'm shooting the single seven. Okay. I love the single seven because of the versatility. You know, it'll handle everything from the little 32 Sharps, the 32s, the 32 H&R mags, and the 327 Fed mags. Okay. All from the same cylinder. So I'm finding, I, I use it a lot on on Fox. The ranchers want the coyotes dead. Yeah. So I generally carry my, when I'm calling coyotes, I carry my rifles. Uh, they don't want me calling up coyotes and shooting at them out of a pistol and missing no. them. Yeah. So, uh, but I don't mind calling the Fox up. Yeah. Because I'm going to get him up close. I'm going to take my time. He's going to come up there and stop, give me what I want. Mm -hmm. And I love that caliber. And I'm shooting primarily the 32 H&R mags in it. Mm -hmm. That's all you need. Mm -hmm. uh, I've, I shoot uh, the single nines a lot, mm -hmm. uh, which is the 22 mag. And I simply love that one as well. Those two pistols are very similar. Mm -hmm. And... The accuracy and the triggers on those guns are, are very, very good. Mm -hmm. And they're stainless. You know, you bang them around. Yeah. They've got adjustable sights. You fine-tune them. <coughs> you know, go to the bench and get it shooting just right. Mm -hmm. Get it where exactly where you want it. Exactly where you want it to be in the sight picture that you want. And people are 
was kind of amazed, you know, I think I killed two fox back to back, bam and bam, and both of them were in the 35 to 40 yard range. Wow. And and a fox is not a big animal, yeah. but it's all about, you know, having a gun that you're familiar with and having that pistol sighted in mm -hmm. and it has a good trigger. Yeah. So. Yeah. And that's why I love Ruger firearms is um, they're affordable for everybody. You know, if you're if you have a dream of being a hunter or if you are a hunter or, you know, doesn't matter socioeconomic status, you can afford a Ruger firearm. You can afford and a you Ruger. Can There's count one on here it. for you. And you can count on it to, to, you know, for your competitive shooting sports, for your hunting application, for predator control, plinking in the backyard. You know, they truly make a firearm that is great for, you know, the law-abiding citizen out there. Yeah, we... We're here at the NRA convention, and you look around, and there's a there's a gun here for every application. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot of fun, and that's why it's <laughs> so great to be Ruger ambassador. So I think they're actually closing the doors uh, on our uh, event here. So how can well, number one, I just really appreciate you sitting down with me, and I genuinely want to come hunt with you. Uh, we have to figure this out. Maybe we in November. We have to do it before I get too old, Maybe Christy. November. We're going to be in Texas in November yeah, anyway. Maybe so if you're uh, maybe we can add a couple of days on and onto our trip. We'll figure out that. And, and I would love to come down and, and do some predator hunting. I'd love to learn from you, Gary. Let's be honest. Like, Well, thank you. Your I wealth of knowledge. And, and I would love to just, I just want to pick your brain in the woods and listen to your stories about animals and behavior. And when you talk about, you know, when you... I wait for the coyote to tell me the body language that I know I can make this shot. Like, I want to know what that is. What is he talking? Because right now I'm looking at it like, what is the language of the body? What is the coyote doing? <laughs> How do I know? And I want you whispering in my ear like, nope, no, no, Yes. Yeah, <laughs> you know? There we go. Um, and so I, I really want to learn from you. Um, and and uh, I'm looking forward to that. And I'm very thankful that you are on the Ruger team. Um, we are honored to have you on our team. You, you are an incredible man. And um, just a really great asset to everything we're doing and i'm looking forward to getting that new call <laughs> there we uh, go but okay. i know you're not a big social media guy but you do have social media right yes uh you can go to carnivore tv uh, burner brothers we also have a, a not super active account there all of this is on facebook because i'm an old guy yeah uh and i have a personal page i, I post stuff on occasionally yeah. so uh, and then of I'm course, trying to get Gary lined out with a social media manager. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, try to treat you, uh, teach this old dog some more yeah, tricks. Right. Well, you can teach me tricks. I'll teach you some. And um, thank you so much for, for joining us here um, on the podcast. And I appreciate all of you guys for tuning in. Um, I invite you all to follow Gary on his channels. Watch his show on the Pursuit channel. Um, it's called Carnivore. And if you guys like this podcast, I want to invite you to like it. Uh, give us a five-star rating. Share it with your friends. Tell your friends about the podcast. Um, tell them about Gary's story, and, and hopefully everybody's in, entertained. And if people want to buy your book, where can they get it? Uh, just go on our, our Burning Brothers site, okay. burningbrothers.com, and uh, and I, I've got a copy for you. Okay. I'll get it to you. Yeah. When are you flying out? Sunday. Sun no, we drive Sunday. Okay, I'll get, bring it tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we're going to do, Yogi and I are going to do a book review. We now have homework. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> so we'll uh, we'll give you guys kind of the book review on that. And I'm going to have to read it before I go hunting with you because I need to know a little bit of backstory on this So uh, before we head out in the field. There we go. Thank yeah. you so much. No, I and, appreciate uh, you. 
we, we love you and Yogi. Yes. I, did, I haven't met, known him very long. Yeah. I've known you for a couple of years. We appreciate you, what you do for the hunting industry uh-huh. and what you do for Ruger. Thank you. Well, I'm glad to be here, and thank you all for tuning in, and we will see you next time. Ta-da! Bam! <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Wild and Uncut podcast. If you would like to hear more, be sure to subscribe to my Pursue the Wild digital series on YouTube and follow me at Christy Titus on Facebook and Instagram.